Vivid Nectar Podcast. I'm back for today's topic. We're going to be covering HBO Max's Velma, a new Netflix horror show titled The Watcher. From there, we're going to be diving into the red pill community with these alpha males and be discussing their emotional breakdowns in front of the camera, in front of thousands. And it's just beautiful, cinematic, and chef's kiss. Then we're going to dive into some stream statistics, talk about two Tyler, the Creator albums, two Tyler, the Creator albums, and then time travel a bit into 2017 for three projects that dropped in August. A lot more albums dropped, but we're going to highlight Lil Uzi Vert's Love is Rage 2. Oh, you saw a little bit of spit. I'm sorry. <laughs> Lil Uzi Vert's Love is Rage 2, ASAP Mob's Cozy Tape Volume 2, and X's 17. I did one minute reels on these, but for today on the podcast, I forgot the exact username, but I said, we're going we're gonna to dive a little bit deeper into these albums. We're going to be discussing that. And then we're going to be talking about podcast outlets hosting Kanye interviews and the way they attempt to deal with backlash for the sake of quote-unquote damage control. That's the way I would like to put it. Do a little bit of a dive on that. So to start off with the episode, HBO is going to be doing a new show. Wow. Uh, that was a little tough for me to say. HBO is going to be reintroducing the Scooby-Doo gang, Mystery Inc. gang, as Velma, an origin story for the Scooby-Doo gang. Now, you might have heard some news as far as the ethnic changes from, for certain characters. So we're going to be starting off with Fred, who remains Caucasian, but seems to have like a round, a round detailed art style. We got a lot of highlights and color on his hair, you know, shadows underneath his chin, and the eyes are more round. Daphne is going to be Asian. and we're gonna, you're gonna, and the art style is a little bit more sharp, less details. And then we're going to be going into Norville, not Shaggy. Shaggy doesn't exist. For whatever reason, they, ref, they I, would, I don't know, not refuse. For whatever reason, they didn't want to name him Shaggy and be black. They wanted to name him Norville. I don't understand the choice behind that, seeing how, seeing how Daphne still, is still called Daphne. But hey, it's here. And his art style reminds me of Total Drama Island. That's a little bit weird. Because like going based on the picture they show for one of the promo pics, Fred has the best art style. All of theirs are different, but it seems like he has the most detail and work done. And as we go down, it's like the budget just gets cheaper and cheaper. No, seriously. If you haven't seen it already, Fred looks amazing. Daphne, okay, we're going different. Norville, no highlights. We're not going to add any shadows, a little bit of glare on the hairstyle, anything. Is the shirt at least going to... <laughs> the shirt doesn't even have as much glow as Fred's shirt did at the top. Like the, like the green, it's just more focused on the hair. The shirt's already green. I don't know, little gripes. And then Velma, is, her ethnic background is going to be Indian or I believe East Asian. I may be wrong about that. It ain't not going to be worth like the three-hour research. Re- research not going to take that long. East Indian, East Asian Indian, and she's going to be officially lesbian. All right? Now, you might have heard certain discussions about that on the internet. Certain people are like, wow, how are you? Not people, but discussions about why change the ethnicities, if it's going to be an origin story, so on and so forth. It's a little confusing. I think as far as the ethnic changes and the different art styles, visually, that's going to be more appealing. You know, every character sort of having their own art style. is like, all right, my eyes aren't just going to be used to the same, same thing on the entire screen. Like everybody got their own little spice. But the real crime of HBO Max's Velma isn't the ethnic changes or the sexuality of any characters. It's the fact this show was pitched and created without Scooby-Doo. Without Scooby-Doo. When you think Mystery Inc., when you hear even the names Fred, Daphne, and Shaggy, 
I don't know why Norville and Shaggy and Velma, you think Scooby-Doo. You think of the dog. You think of a, a mammal with four legs that barks. He didn't make the cut. Now, some extra information. This is going to be a mature adult show. So we're going to see actual bodies being caught. It's not going to be everyone getting arrested. We're going to see people when they go missing. It ain't going to be a good sign. It's a done deal. But Scooby-Doo is not going to be in this origin story, which doesn't make any sense on how this even got greenlit. Why? How that's like that's like remaking Pokemon, but without the Pokemon. It's just regular animals. Who would want to see that? Who? Not me. Not this guy. So a little bit as to why Scooby-Doo didn't make the cut. When we were going, this is a Warner Bros. executive. Exact quote. When we were going into the show and thinking about adapting it, we wanted to be respectful. We didn't want to just kind of take this beloved characters and put them in outrageous or gross situations and say like, isn't it crazy we did that to Velma? So when, when we were thinking about what made it a kid's show and what makes it an adult show, the Scooby, the dog Scooby is what really seemed to we couldn't get a take on that was like exact words here. How can we kind of do this in a fun, modern way? It felt like what made the original version of kids show was Scooby-Doo that coincided with Warner Bros animation saying, hey, you can't use the dog. So we're like, great, this works out well. Now, whether the reason they weren't able to add Scooby-Doo on here is because of, you know, gore, blood, and those kind of you know, those kind of elements into the story, I could buy. I could sort of buy just for the fact that, you know, for the most part, when I think of Scooby-Doo, I do think of a kid's show. That's like the same way you think of Winnie the Pooh. You think of the kid's show and movie Winnie the Pooh. You don't think of the, (laughs) you don't think of a killer Winnie the Pooh. There was a recent horror movie that the killer has a Winnie the Pooh mask because um, something happened and they were able to do it. You think Winnie the Pooh, you think kids, you think Scooby-Doo, you think kids. So I could, I could see why. My thing is, if that's the reason Scooby-Doo isn't able to be on the show, why make the show at all? For the various points I've mentioned before. But that's the reason Scooby-Doo isn't going to be on here. And yeah, Velma, I was interested in the beginning. I love the concept, Mystery Inc., the whole entire crew, but the adults, mature topics, actual murders, because for the most part, Most of us growing up watching Scooby-Doo, we're adults now. We've grown, we've matured, we have a different taste for some of our entertainment, whether it's horror shows, murder mysteries, and to have some, you know, adult humor, adult conversations instead of like little comments that that is like, oh, okay, that was meant for adults. It's like, oh no, the whole show being geared towards it. It just loses 99.9% of the interest, the impact, and sort of the real genuine inspiration behind the original shows and movies. I would like to highlight that the live-action Scooby-Doo's, they they were not, you know, mature. They weren't rated M. They didn't have blood. But we could sort of see how a mature, an actual mature show could be handled. All you really have to do for the live-action movies is um, have a little bit more dead bodies and blood, and that's it. And it would, you could see how even... Just having the things the way they are, just adding those elements already make it mature. Um, to go a little bit deeper, the Scooby-Doo Zombie Island movie where people genuinely died, where souls were being snatched, where you had actual zombies, corpses come to life. The only thing that was missing in that movie was blood. Besides that, it was labeled as a kid's show and it, it was exceptional. It was an exceptional movie. So what I'm saying is 
I don't believe much of the changes on here as far as quality are going to make it worth watching. When the original, when we had multiple series, multiple animated and live action movies that held up incredibly well, gave the suspense, gave the tension, gave the mystery, the thrill, the rush, without going above and beyond. Above and beyond with the murders, above and beyond with the mud, with the blood, mature topics. And honestly, I feel like <laughs> this was the way. Give me the budget. I'll make a better remake to this. So Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo, Velma, not... Not it does it doesn't appear to be shaping up to be a good show, unfortunately. I mean, hey, I'll say this before I end it off. When you watch Scooby Doo as a kid, who did you watch it for? It wasn't Fred. It wasn't Daphne, and it wasn't Velma. It was for Shaggy, not Norville, and Scooby Doo. So if we're not gonna have Scooby Doo. Why not use the creativity and resources to make an entirely new show being inspired from Scooby-Doo? I felt that would be a lot more creative, would show some extra effort, and you could do some callbacks to the show, have it within the same universe, and, you know, genuinely go all out. Make it a cap. Make it a cap. Just something. Something that gives it that, anim- well, not animation, but that goofy aspect that the original had. Oh, by the way, they... I, if I remember correctly, they confirm that Norville, he's going to be a pothead. They're like, we're keeping that the same. But it's like, of course. I mean, I, everybody could have guessed once you reach a certain age. Yeah, Scooby and Shaggy, they potheads. They smoking. They eating laced up edibles. And we're loving it. Let me know you guys' thoughts on Velma. Um, any, you know, the fact they don't have Scooby-Doo, are you going to give it a chance? And it's sort of the self-awareness I didn't cover it. The show makes with... Um, uh, there was like a video where Velma sort of talks about the changes in the show and how people are mad about it. It's like, you're talking about the wrong thing. Scooby's not in here. That's all I care about. Now, from here, I recently been watching The Watcher with my girl. I've been loving, I wouldn't say loving. The show has been entertaining enough for me to sit through and watch. So basically, I could read the Netflix description to make it sound official. I could give my spin to it. We got another Caucasian family moving into a giant expensive home that they can't afford. We got some mysterious shit going on in the show. And they ain't no... Okay, there's some mysterious shit going on. We got a little bit of haunted events in there. We got some strange neighbors. And and they're they're receiving letters. And the letters are telling them to basically, like, we're watching you. We're watching your kids. They got good blood. Blah, 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 blah. And to sum it all up, they're dealing with the fact they moved to a new house. They don't want to move out. They got to deal with the consequences. All right. That might not have sounded as professional as the official Netflix description. Ominous letters, strange neighbors, sinister threats. A family moves into the suburban dream home only to discover they've inherited a nightmare. Actually, with those two points, I could, I could remix it better. Sorry for the ring. I'm holding my, holding my watch to make sure the camera light stays on. Let's do an official remix right here. All right. Ominous letters that look that are written pretty nice on a typewriter, like on an official paper. It isn't like on a hand note or some mystery blood on a wall. It's like some professional letters, man. Listen, if anybody's haunting a house and they're writing professional letters, I might invite them more. Like, hey, if you're going to kill me, I need you to come to my job real quick. Anyhow, ominous letters, strange uh, strange neighbors, sinister threats. We could keep that on there. Add in the fact that we got the head of the family making unwise decisions, unrational decisions, and for whatever reason, not leaving the house immediately. 
decides to continue to stage to torment his family further and further. That's how I would describe it. Now on the show, to really sit back and really break it down, there's an insane, beautiful mansion. The father, the fam, the father, he's not able to afford a house, but he wants it because, you know, the family needs a nice house. They need 18 bedrooms, whatever the case is. Sells like all his stock, all his stuff. Makes a, by the way, makes a financial decision that it is terrible to buy a house. Clearly, he really wants it. Anyhow, the house is cheap for, or at least a little cheaper than usual for no reason at all. It just happens to be on the market on a, on a, in the suburbs where, you know, it's beautiful, it's safe, but the cops are right next to us. So clearly nothing wrong can happen. There's no crimes. Ain't nobody stopping by our door, right? No, it doesn't go that way. He receives a strange letter saying how there's somebody watching him exactly on his house, so on and so forth. And there's some threats in there along the way. There's threats against the, the family. Specifically, it's a father, a wife, two kids, and a ferret. Yes, you heard that right. The pet's a ferret. I don't know why they decide to choose anything but a dog, but goes to show you that you need a dog. And in a big-ass mansion, they have strange neighbors that are a bit ominous. They hear certain things in the house. They hear certain musics, your typical stuff. Now, my gripe with the show so far is the letters. Like I mentioned, <laughs> they're very professional. Yes, it's threatening, but it's like, yo, before you kill me, I just want to say you need to be a LinkedIn manager for resumes because it was just stand, it was outstanding. But if you're being threatened in your house, the fact that they're going for construction work in the house. So basically, I need to practice on this. Throughout these threatening events and suspicious neighbors, he's also doing work in his house as far as the basement, as far as the kitchen, spending mad bread while the fact that there's something weird going on. And instead of investing in a gun, cameras, as well as redoing the basement, as well as redoing the house. Why are you not investing in security? As far as, as, far as I'm like, what, three episodes deep? No security is being invested in here. We're installing cameras, but not that many. And we got a lot of mysterious shit going on. Eventually, the ferret gets smashed. People just appear in the house. Nobody ain't really rocking with it. And we're following a couple horror tropes. And I'm just like, God, we're still doing this. So the, oh, wow, mysterious stuff are going on. I got to protect my family. So we got to leave the house, get a motel. That way, my family's safe. Doesn't make sense because the watcher knows where the family's at. As far as the husband, the male lead, he makes terrible financial decisions. And it's entertaining because the cinematography is pretty dope. I'm loving the way everything's angled. But what what baffles me is how they make every wrong mistake and they still act shocked when things get worse. I'll work better on my show summaries, my movie breakdowns. By the way, Intergalactic Breakdown, I did that earlier about two weeks ago. But The Watcher in itself, it's entertaining enough to where they make such poor choices that I'm, I'm invested into what they do next. It isn't, it isn't unbearable, but it's just like, really? You got someone that's threatening you and you're not buying guns right away? And you're buying a million dollar home, but you're not buying guns? You're not getting security? Hey, Amen. It got, it got my view. I don't know how much longer. From there, we're going to be discussing top 100 year-to-date streams by artists. Obviously, I'm not going to be going over every single artist on here, but I'm going to be doing some of the more notable ones. So to start off with the top five. Top five artists with the most streams so far in 2022. 
It's going to be Drake with $6.7 billion, Youngboy with $5.4 billion, Taylor Swift with $4.8 billion, Bad Bunny $4.1 billion, The Weeknd at $3.7 billion. That's the top five. Some notable ones in this list is we have Tyler, the creator, at 36, and we have DJ Khaled at 58. Feels good. Just feels good knowing that's happening. Playboy Cardi at 51 with $1.3 billion. It's pretty nice, too. From there, we still see um, Lil Wayne doing numbers. I lost, uh, thir- uh, let's see, 38, $1.6 Jack Harlow, $1.7 billion. Mac Miller at 1.8, as well as X's. And then from there, you could probably see the list. Uh, I'll probably post it up. If not, just type in top 100 streams by artists and you'll probably see the entire chart. Now, number one, Drake still has the most streams in the world. But to me, he still, he ain't the biggest artist in the world anymore. We got Bad Bunny on that. Surprising to show, not surprising, but seeing Youngboy have 5.4 billion streams goes to show that being blackballed, depending on how it's done, Ain't, ain't an excuse. Your fans, they ain't need it. If your fans aren't eating, if for whatever reason your fans aren't really backing you up, you need to look at yourself creatively. Yourself as an artist. There we go. Now, young boy, being an artist who doesn't do crazy first week, is dropping a project every other month, isn't being advertised everywhere 24-7. Goes to show you that just make the music, the fans loving it, they going back you up. And then nothing else really notable here besides, you know, numbers, certain artists. Um, Frank Ocean, 1.1 billion streams. That was nice. Now, recently, Tyler, making sure this flash stays on. Tyler, the creator's Igor, has surpassed Flower Boy in streams, I believe, as far as the Spotify platform. Rightfully so. Even though I, pr- I prefer Flower Boy, this isn't too much of a surprise. One thing that you could say stands stands out a bit or a couple things to note is that Igor has two less songs than Flower Boys. However, Igor is also just, it's also pretty good. As far as my personal stance on it, I love Flower Boy. I believe it to be a masterpiece. I personally prefer Flower Boy to Igor due to more of the raps we get on Flower Boy. However, Igor is an incredible album in itself. Now, to me, being released in 2019, Igor compared to Flower Boy's 2017 and being able to surpass it goes to show you that Igor, for a good amount of people, is a magnum opus. Tyler, the creator, as an artist, pushed himself to a point where I don't think any of us foresaw this, obviously, when Tyler was initially growing as an artist. But to see this album doing great commercially is fantastic because we love to see albums do this. We love to see artists go into their own creative bag without having to sound like everybody else and just being the maximum version of themselves and doing these kinds of numbers because that's how we get better music. Less sacrifices to be had commercially for the sake of, well, we need to get some sales in here. So let's um, make some songs a little bit more wash and it's just going all in, can and will pay off commercially, I would like to say. Now, as far as certain tracks, because I do love to talk about music, songs. Like I said, it was in my other podcast. I'm going to be back to just posting artists just because I love music as much as I do. Earthquake, of course, a hit incredible and it's a hit single. Tyler, the creator's Earthquake is a single that hasn't aged bad. I haven't gotten any less. I haven't gotten any more tired of the track and just continues to hold a certain amount of freshness that's just 
rejuvenating. It's dope to not only hear, but it's dope to see its lifespan just continue to stay at that same impact. At least for me, earth, earthquake, earthquake, not earthquake. Every time it gets played, it feels like it just dropped. Water break. Now for my <clears throat> main favorite track. My favorite track on Igor Bean, I think I find it beautiful. I find like myself just moving in any kind of way or even breaking down into a dance mentally or even physically is luscious, fantastic. And I even find myself going back to Igor's theme whenever I want to have like a random soundtrack playing in the background, which is incredible in itself. Now, Tyler, the creator's Flower Boy. And I'm going to give more time to these albums to do a proper breakdown track by track, things that I enjoy. The same way I'm going to do a little bit with um, the following three albums. But Flower Boy, Tyler, creator, this is a special album for me being a it's the, was it the first time I saw Tyler, the creator, went to the concert and then being the album that really changed everything. Cherry Bomb, I wasn't the biggest fan, but then to get Flower Boy, I was just like, this is a complete 180 songs that I'm listening to to this day. To this day, Who That Boy with ASAP Rocky. Where the album? Where is the album Tyler and Rocky? See you again with Kali Uchis. Was beautiful seeing her live. I almost melted. I almost like passed out. My soul was split from my vessel for her entire performance. Ah, where does flower booms? I ain't got time, which was a bit reminiscent of Cherry Bomb looking back at it. I felt like that was a track that could have really fit Cherry Bomb. You hear some of the Cherry Bomb influence on there, but we were able to code it with that extra layer that Tyler provides on here to make it fit more Flower Boy. Dropping Seeds, Lil Wayne feature. It's pleasant. I'm going to sit here and say, greatest of all time, but it was a pleasant listen. And Mr. Lon 911, Mr. Lonely with Frank Ocean and Steve Lacey is just therapeutic. I would sing the song for you, but you guys probably wouldn't enjoy it. I'm going to revisit these albums, do more of a personal deep dive because I find them to be not just, not just amazing, not just, oh, here I go. This man just saying amazing every time. <laughs> Sonically. Sonically, my voice, hold on. Not only are they just sonically ridiculous, there we go, but they're genuinely beautiful. And to go back to the main thing, Tyler, the creators, Igor surpassing Flower Boy in streams on Spotify with less time, less songs. Goes to show you that Igor doing insane commercially. Now, in August, three albums dropped, multiple albums dropped, but I want to highlight these three because I promised I was going to discuss them. Love is Rage 2, Lil Uzi Vert, ASAP Mob, Cozy Tapes, Volume 2, and Exodus 17. We're going to be starting off with Love is Rage 2, Lil Uzi Vert. I'm going to be breaking these albums down a bit by How Has It Aged Over the Course of Five Years, My Least Favorite Track, My Most Favorite Track, which uh, not just how it aged, but is there any way to make the album better? Yes. Better. And just sort of remembering certain memories any memories that I'm making of it right now. And that's how I'm going to be handling these three albums. So to be starting it off, Love is Rage 2. Love is Rage, the, the original Love is Rage when it released, I want to say 2016. I got the vinyl somewhere up here. I find amazing trap album. One of the ones that hold up. I, I wouldn't want to. Oh, yeah, it's my favorite Lil Uzi Vert project, the original Love is Rage. So me, Back in 2017, the hype for Love is Rage 2 was out of this world. As far as the cover art looks great, fantastic. As far as the off-white branding tape over it, the gray schemes, a little hints of blue in there. 
depending on the cones in your eyes, I see some blue. This gives it that rock star, that rock star energy you would expect from Lil Uzi Vert. Around this time, I was playing a lot of Destiny 2, so I have a lot of the songs on here being attached to that game. Now, 2 was an okay intro. I want to say 2 was an okay intro. Started off a little bit, a little bit softer than I would have preferred. I felt we could have had 444 plus 222 at the beginning of the album. It would have been a more grand introduction. Now, as far as my favorite track on here, I want you to take a guess before I actually say the track. It's 20 minutes. It's, oh, wait. Oh, this is the original. I don't even have the, the, the deluxe on stream. My fault. My fault, guys. But the deluxe edition having 20 minutes, that's my favorite track. But if we're going based on the OG one, I believe it was early 20 Rager. Early 20 Rager was my favorite track on the album. And then my least favorite track would have definitely been Out of Talk or Pretty Mommy. I can't really remember how those two sound that much. And the fact that I don't remember it goes to show that I really didn't enjoy it. Sauce It Up was also bursting with energy. And for the most part, having the theme of the track, throwing your own sauce on anything, I find it to be something inspirational. Throw that in the soundtrack for my life. Now, as far as how has the album aged, in comparison to... Love is Rage, the original version, and uh, Love is Rage 1. And the following albums afterwards, Love is Rage 2 has held up incredibly well, especially seeing how a lot of the sounds and a lot of the artists we have now, whether we're talking about Ken Carson, Destroy Lonely, Soul Fio, Yeet, Love is Rage 2 still sounds fresh, modern, and I believe to be a better album than almost any one of those artists has pushed out into where their music their style is hot right now. So Love is Rage 2 definitely, I wouldn't, you know what? Love is Rage 2 is sounding timeless. It's still sounding fresh. It's still sounding like if it were to drop in 2022, it will make the same amount of noise it did in 2017. So I'll even say Lil Uzi Vert was definitely ahead of his time during this album. And if I to remember it a little bit further, I love that this album did great commercially, did great as far as the quality. Because this is around the time, 2016, 2017, where we still had a lot of old heads, not just bashing some of the newer artists, but even just dismissing the music. So, so to see Love is Rage 2, to hear Love is Rage 2 today, and having the same impact they had on me back then, loving it. Now, it wasn't as deep as I would have preferred it. However, I could also make my own you know, I could, give, I could give these albums their own individual videos. I just wanted a little bit more than just one minute. Unfaced with The Weeknd was a nice surprise. Having Abel sing the hook going down into some of the verses was a bit different than what I was expecting. Now, going into Dark Queen, nice surprise as well. The Way Life Goes, the original version, and with Nicki Minaj, me preferring the Nicki Minaj version because Nicki killed it, man. Nicki killed it. Were some incredible tracks there as well. And Neon Guts with Pharrell Williams. Neon Guts. I just want to sing it, but y'all probably wouldn't want to hear that. So Love is Rage 2, five years later. Again, sounds fresh. Sounds better than a lot of the music being dropped right now. And it's an album that's going to continue to sound timeless. And that's without me taking into account the Deluxe, which had 20 minutes. And I'm forgetting the other three tracks at the moment. Now, 
ASAP Mob Cozy Tapes Volume 2. Too cozy. How has it aged? Seamless. Seamless. It's still fresh. It's still dope. And as we anticipate Cozy, cozy Tapes 3 whenever it drops, this album's still holding it down for me. Some of my favorite tracks on here being Perry A, Walk on Water, shouts out to ASAP, and 12V and Cardi on there. Bahamas, Frat Rules, Sean, Cardi, Rocky. First year being rich is an anthem. Every year is my first year being rich. That's how I feel. It isn't. But that's how I feel and that's what's important. Feels so good. And Raph being, I wouldn't, I don't know how it did. I don't remember how it did commercially as a hit. But it is a highlight of this tape. Rocky, Frank Ocean, Lil Uzi, Cardi, and Quavo all did something special on here. Now, I don't, I can't really say, yeah, I can't say. My least favorite track would be, I guess, the school bus skit. And I will count it as a track just for the fact. Having an intro to an album, to me, I've never enjoyed skits as an intro. I've never enjoyed interludes. I felt we would have started off with Perrier. It would have had just an incredible, incredible introduction to the album. And it really just sets the tone for like, all right, we're getting in here. Some of the things I've enjoyed about Cozy Tapes too is I definitely felt ASAP in and ASAP 12E took it up to another level to where I preferred their verses on, their, on this project in comparison to Rocky's at times or even the little bits of Ferg that we will get throughout here. As far as features, star-studded, whether we're talking about Playboy Cardi, well, back then, back then Cardi was still, wasn't, was great, great, you know, on his come up. But Gucci, Gucci, Frank Ocean, Schoolboy Q, Big Sean. So we got, you know, we got, I don't want to point out like, oh, we got bigger artists on here, so it's good. But we have people outside of ASAP Mob going into Joy Badass, Kirk Knight, Michi, Darko, Nick Caution, and Zombie Juice on what happens. And we have an album that creatively, creatively, as far as the cohesiveness, we get that ASAP Mob sound. We get the creative moment, not creative. We get, we get moments on here where sonically things change the pace to favor the other artists that's featured, but it also meshes in well because they have their own bits where they mesh in with somebody else. And it just, you know, both worlds collide, create something special. Least favorite being School Bus Skit. I mentioned it. My favorite. First year being rich because that's an anthem. Music videos. I, I think there was only a music video for Raph. I can't remember too much on anything else, but I would have preferred a lot more music videos from this era, especially with the amount of artists that we have collaborating. It could have genuinely felt like more movies. And again, I, I promise the same way I'm doing this, we're going to have individual episodes dedicated to these albums. 17 by X. Back in 2017, I was definitely a lot more emotionally invested. As far as, as, far as emotionally invested, I would say more in my feels, I guess you could say, I guess you could say more depressed, you know, whether it's, whether it's a female-oriented stuff for myself. 17 definitely hit that spot. Got my feel to be, you know, my own little therapy album. At 11 tracks, it definitely leaves not just an impression, it leaves a mark on your ears. You're not going to forget about this. Now, I would like to say if you're an X fan, every X fan loves this, but even if you're not necessarily an X-Band. This will be an album that you would enjoy. Starting off with an explanation, y'all know how I feel about these intros. That will probably be my least favorite. My favorite, favorite. It's, a, it's sort of a tie between Jocelyn Flores 
or fuck love. As much as I enjoy carry on, as much as I enjoy depression and obsession, I mean, I just find fuck love with Trippy Red and Jocelyn Flores to be two tracks that till this day I'm playing. That I'm playing. I don't listen to this album much at all just because I'm not depressed or I'm not going through anything emotionally with a female where it's just like tugging on my heartstrings. I'm life right now, life right now is pretty good. However, those are two tracks that I do go back to. I think I got the vinyl. Yeah, I got the vinyl right up there. And I like mentioning I got the vinyl because they just sit up there. I don't play them sometimes. So I got to mention them somehow. Now, the same way, what was it? Uh, as far as aging, it's aged pretty good as well. You know, when it came to X, we barely got any music videos, which is something I would have preferred. He had more music videos. I just love artists having music videos in general. And that's a, you know, a deeper dive into those three projects from my own perspective, from you know, my own words, my own takes, besides a little minute, besides just posting up the music. And from there, we got two topics left. A bit out of order, but <clears throat> when it comes to alpha males, whether you want to live red pill community, alpha males, you know, men that love the gr- certain, certain men. Let me slow myself down there. I'm not going to sit here and say every man. Let me slow down. But those, y'all, y'all know them. To announce on social media that you're an alpha male, that you're in the red pill community, and you know, you degrade women to the ones that degrade women, I find it to be embarrassing. And in no shape or form, I don't know how people gravitate to these guys, how they can actually have genuine interest on who they are, see the world through their lens. Now, whether that's a lack of living on, how would I say it? I believe. Wow, this is terrible. I would edit this out, but I feel it takes away from sort of the life of this podcast. Recently, whether we're talking about the Fresh and Fit podcast, Academics was on there with Sneeko. Sneeko being banned from social media platforms. I don't agree with it, but it happened due to the way he acts. Academics on here, Fresh and Fit. You know, they're out, quote unquote, self-acclaimed alpha males in red pill. And for whatever reason, they love to degrade women on camera in order to prove themselves. Now, from a business standpoint, I could understand how Fresh and Fit, the podcast, I view it as like a male Jersey Shore. I can understand why people are entertained and gravitate to it. As far as actual value and entertainment, there ain't much value to be had. Originally, I watched it, I forgot when, uh, I want to say a year or so ago, before the album and Preach situation, just because I found it entertaining. But as far as value, it's pretty simple. Pretty women in Miami that have only fans that only use men, whether it's to, um, to marry rich men and have sex with men, and they, their minds isn't geared to, you know, actually being leveled and educated. Potatoes, potato, like, not potatoes. <laughs> Black and white, like, uh, that's obvious. So as far as the education anybody could really get from here, specifically that podcast, and that, that podcast, I mean, well, I feel like brain dead entertainment. Now, I'm mentioning Red Pill. I'm mentioning Embarrassing and the events that unfold, that unfolded recently is academics um, calling, calling another, fe- another female on their bitch because she called him out, made fun of him the same way they were degrading her for her voice. And it's just something about 
a man constantly having to tell everyone that he's rich, watch how you speak to him. That just proves that as far as an alpha male, as far as, you know, being the, the prize, it's a lot of bullshit. Like, a real, I don't want to say like, every real, real man, but if you're fully confident in yourself, whether you have money or not, and you treat people respectfully, male or female, there's no need to degrade somebody else just because your insecurities latched on, that you felt, oh, damn. I got embarrassed in front of everybody. So now I have to somewhat just lash on the female. And a lesson here that could be learned. I'm getting a little bit messy. Is regardless of how much money another man has or not, what's more important is how they treat people, how they treat males and females. Because for someone like academics, he'd be damned if he talked crazy like that to another man in front of his face. That's something you'll notice sometimes with a lot of these quote-unquote alpha males, believers in the red pill space, is they will go out of their way to degrade a female, call her a bitch, say every name in the book. Even if the female does some, you know, is real disrespectful, putting yourself in that position and not being the bigger man is not alpha male energy, whatever you want to call it. And it's embarrassing. But it goes to show you it don't matter the amount of money. It doesn't matter, you know, whether you have a big-ass platform or not. But being respectful goes a long way. And with that, it was embarrassing. It was ridiculous. And I love seeing moments like that because it goes to show you, again, money isn't everything and you could still be a shitty human being to a certain extent when you're not able to control your emotions. I don't know enough about Sneeko. I just know he got banned off of social medias and he'd be saying some shit that just doesn't make sense. But there's a moment in Fresh Fit Podcast where he points out to the female who has a more masculine voice and they were bragging on, they were bashing her for it. He mentions that he's able to see her coochie or whatever, that there's hair, there's sticking out, and that. And then he starts degrading her for that reason. And the entire time I'm watching this, this is important to know that these guys, they're in a platform that has thousands and thousands of people watching. I'm not saying this to be like, oh, wow, they got a large platforms, but it shows that they're not even able to conduct themselves in a manner that's just like respectable. It's degrading. And not to be, not to look up to them. Don't be a hardcore fan. You could enjoy some of the work they do, but to understand that, hey, that ain't it. I could say, I could say right here, I don't gotta be in that position to say that ain't it. That isn't something I want to strive for. And I love when they embarrass themselves like that because it goes to show us just like these guys are fools. These guys are fools. Fools when it comes to showing what an alpha male is, how you should lead as a male. I believe for any men that don't have a male figure and have to figure it out by themselves, you know, it's to a certain point, sometimes you have to find whether it's content or somebody to sort of get an idea of, but just live life. Sometimes I, I, I could say that's the best advice I could give to any man out here, older or younger, that has no idea how to navigate or have conversations with men, women. Just be respectful. Go out there. Find places that females are at. I'm not about to tell y'all where to go because... I ain't never had a crazy game like that. I ain't never have a life. Uh, not, <laughs> I've never had a life. I ain't have a moment to where, oh, I could tell you exactly what to say, where to go. I just know the regular things anybody else will tell you, whether I don't know, the restaurants go somewhere downtown for cases. Just live life. Do your own mistakes. Be awkward. I would even say try to find specifically dating coaches. I, I believe just finding men that know how to communicate, even if it's not exactly the topic, sort of copy some of that mannerism, whatever it is. This one was extremely choppy just because 
I'm used to, like y'all know, I'm used to the music to a certain extent, entertainment, but I could reschedule this better, restructure this better for another time. Now, this is one that's a, definitely going to be good. When Kanye West gets interviewed by a platform, for the most part, you can expect a couple things. Kanye West to make a comment that a lot of people don't agree with. And at times, you will find the platform apologizing or saying they don't agree with his comments for quote-unquote damage control, which I find ridiculous. If you were to invite someone to your own platform that you know does not align with what anybody says for the sake of it, can say outlandish things, it stays true to himself, why are you going to go and apologize for having them on the podcast or what, from what they say? You should know hand in hand that the second they get invited from, the second you host them, that, hey, I invited them. Yeah, we're doing this show. Whatever he says, y'all got pissed off. It is what it is. You know. Now, as far as Nor, whether he's agreeing or disagreeing, I feel whatever gets said in the podcast should stay in the podcast. There's no need to go and apologize to the different media outlets, to the different people that are having issues with whatever Kanye said, because you did your job. And you need to own up to it too. You invited Ye to be on the podcast to speak his mind. He spoke his mind. Don't apologize for what he said. Because in that moment, you may you either agree with it or not. Well, however people react, let them react. And I think, though, not just specifically Kanye. I mean, I'm in the very beginning of this. Who knows? How, who knows how I'm gonna act whenever it hits me, depending on. You know, if any future guests on here say some outlandish thing, we got the internet like, yo, Alex, get over here. Hey, hey, slow down. I know for me, it's like the second, if I would invite someone to this podcast, they say something that people don't agree with. I'm not going to sit here and fight with people for it. Hey, drop a comment on the video. Maybe you could even record yourself, but my job is done. Y'all react to it, get your emotions out. And I'm going to sit by, but whatever I said that episode, that's how I feel. That's what I sit next to. Because when you start going on this whole damage, I would like to say like damage control mode to, you know, oh, I want to remind y'all that I'm not with him on everything. I want to remind y'all this is how I think. It's just like if they, if someone genuinely watches your content, they will understand how you act, how you side and how you conduct yourself. Don't fall into the pressure of people believing something different out of their own ignorance. Because if someone thinks a certain way out of their own ignorance, I believe nothing you say will be able to change that person. So if I were to say something on this podcast, somebody listens to a snippet or something else and has an opinion of what I said, and they're sort of asking me, how can I do this? Or asking me to say sorry, whatever. Listen, whatever feelings y'all have, take it up with yourself, drop a comment, make a video. I said my piece, whether you got it out of context. And that's how you feel. I'm not going to change that. Y'all, you could watch the next episode. Or even if you did watch everything from start to finish, not just the clips, and you heard my side, but you still got something different out of it. That's just the way you think. That's just the way it is. So when people have these platforms and they host somebody that, whether it's social media or someone controversial, and they go on this run of, well, yeah, I don't, I just had him on here, blah, blah, blah. On, it, on the fact that, yeah, he said this on my platform. If you want to hear my side, my perspective, just watch the episode in its entirety. Because I'm not, I can't say it's embarrassing, but it's just sort of like you knew what you were doing. As, as someone who hosts a podcast as a platform, you know what you're doing when you're inviting a certain guest. 
if you're not ready for the backlash, if you're not ready for the things that could be said, there ain't no reason to be having it in the first place. And nor from Drink Champs, having a show that has alcohol everywhere, has all the evils of Lucy spread around, and you're having not just a regular controversial person, you're having the greatest artist of all time on your platform who's in the extreme hot seat for any little thing he says. Well, hot seat depending on the person. Some people could view it as a hot seat. Some people could... What is it even defined as a hot seat? So let me slow down. Certain people can agree with what Ye says, be in the middle, or completely hate it. But when we got the liquor, when we got Ye, when we got his voice, you own that on your platform. Once that episode gets uploaded, it's a done deal. Stop explaining everything about it. Let people feel how they feel. And that's not just for drinking, but in general, that's something when I see with platforms, I'm just like, eh. I hope that ain't never me. I hope that ain't never me to the future Alexander man whenever we get to that point where we, which, where we reaching the millions on the stream that we don't let the outside voices get to us because we know how to conduct ourselves on here. And with that, I believe Vivid Nectar podcast episode 246. We finished. We done. Thank you for staying with me throughout the entirety of the episodes. I just want to say if you made it this far, Vivid Nectar on YouTube, we're at 167 subscribers. We reached our goal of 150 the other week. We're trying to get the grind, trying to get the grind. We're going to reach 1,000. If you're watching this on streaming platforms, on Instagram, subscribe to the YouTube. Let's get that running. If you enjoy this content, if you enjoy the reels, whatever the case is, we got more on the way. And that, that's it. I'll catch you guys on the next one.